Welcome to Turn One, a Formula One podcast. and Jeremiah. You know how Max Verstappen's running away with things? I mean, yeah, it's pretty obvious. He's the king of the 2023 season. He's going to be a three-time world champion. Today, we want to take the turn one on. It's back in time, I think. Okay. Let's go to 2010. Ooh. Picture Formula One, except instead of one or two guys kind of running away from the field, you have five guys all with serious contention for the title. Ooh. <laughs> so, welcome to the Turn One Podcast. We're your hosts, Thomas. And Jeremiah. And uh, today, we're going to just try to take you through 2010. Um, there are many, many videos and articles out there about the 2010 season. If you subscribe to F1 TV, they do a breakdown of the season. They do race-by-race race re- uh, rewinds. You can find the audio clips of all the old races, which is really cool to listen to, especially the last race in Abu Dhabi. Uh, but uh, today we kind of want to show you some of the drivers of note that were um, out on the track back then. Some of them you will recognize still from today's racing if you just became a fan. And then some names that you might hear on Sky Sports or ESPN or something like that. We'll take you through some of the major changes. 2010 might go down as the biggest rule change year or regulation change year in Formula One. We probably need to look a little more into that, but there is a ton going on there. And then, like I mentioned at the start, a huge battle for the title that went all the way to Abu Dhabi. So at the risk of this being a three hour episode, instead of taking you through every single race, everything, every single result, everything that happened throughout the season, we're going to touch on some points, kind of talk about our thoughts on the 2010 season, kind of what we gathered from it and doing our own research. Uh, Hopefully you find some entertainment in that. Hopefully you find some useful knowledge. Um, Let's start this thing off. What you got, Tommy? So let's look at some of the drivers um, of note. Um, I'll call some of these names out and then just give me kind of where they're at now or where they were. Michael Schumacher's on the grid in 2010. So this is awesome. After his retirement from Ferrari, he took his years off, did his thing, and now he's back on the grid lining up with Mercedes and the young Nico Rosberg. Man, and... This was prior to Nico winning, obviously. Right. But, I mean, at 2010 also is one of those years we need to go back and get, like, a tally counter for how many championship drivers at the time and post-2010 were on the track at that time because there was all the championships other than Max's were out there. I mean, yeah, you had a quite a f- awesome grid. Schumacher, Alonzo, Hamilton, Vettel, Button, all champions. Yeah, and if you remember back to our... our um, Schumacher v. Hill episode where we did a rivalry, uh, Schumacher had that, what, four-year break? Yeah. And then, yeah, 2010 is his first year back on the grid. He just got tired of not doing it and came back out for Mercedes. Coming in with the new young hot team, Mercedes, who prior to this, yes, they had their golden years where they were the Silver Arrows and everything way back. But for the last, I don't even know how long, but for the majority of their F1 careers up to this point, it was all just an engine provider. So they were engine providers for teams like McLaren, and I'm sure there's others that I'm blanking on. (laughs) But the point is, is that this is the year that they finally decided to become a works team. And if you don't remember what that is, that's whenever you're not only building the car itself, but you're also providing the engine. So they had the whole system going on. This is their first year. They got the new young hot Nico Rosberg coming out of Williams Racing, and then they bring in the seven-time world champion out of retirement, Michael Schumacher. And as much as things uh, change, uh, another name, obviously Michael Schumacher not in racing anymore, Fernando Alonso is on the grid. Fernando Alonso in his first year with Ferrari, uh, nowadays kind of bounced around. We know him as the guy that bounced around, kind of didn't necessarily go to the right spot at the right time. But at this current moment, he's on Ferrari. It's his first year, and Ferrari's hot. They're good. They're competing for the top. And Fernando Alonso is at the helm with his teammate, Felipe Massa. Was this his 
Um, no, I guess this one. So he's jumped around quite a bit. He went from Minardi to Renault to McLaren, back to Renault, then to Ferrari. We talked about this um, at some point in time, how he just kind of had a bad streak of jumping to teams at the wrong time. And while Ferrari was good in decent, at least in 2020 or in 2010, and he was in the fight for the title, it kind of fell off right after that. Exactly. And then he got stuck in this cycle of, okay, I'm with this team. They're not doing good. I'm going to go to the, the team that's up and coming. Now they're not doing good. I'm going to go to the next team that's up and coming and they're not doing good. Okay. Looking down the list a little bit more, Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton, the seven-time world champion. Although at this time in 2010, numero uno. He got number one with McLaren Racing back in 2008. 2009, not the best year, came in fifth. But now here he is in 2010, ready to fight for the championship again. And he's lined up with defending world champion Jensen Button. Yes, that is right. In 2009, Jensen Button was racing for Braun GP, and he took it all the way to win the the championship. And again, some of these names you'll be familiar with, even if you got into Formula One just this year, uh, because you hear them often on the broadcast, providing insight. Okay, so those are the, uh, some of the, Alonzo and Hamilton, at least, are the ones that are still going today. There's one more that's still going today, just barely. Nico Hulkenberg is on track in 2010. At this time... Racing for Williams Racing. It's his first season. He's trying to make a name for himself and prove himself. So at this point, we have the young Nico Hulkenberg. He would be the equivalent of what you would say, I guess. I don't know if I'd call it as far as Oscar Piastri. Maybe like maybe like a – I don't know. There's not really a rookie I can compare him to because he wasn't as bad as like a Logan Sargent. But he – sorry, Logan. I understand you're the American and I love you. But you're not cutting it. So – Jeez, <laughs> we're nine races in. And where did Alex Albon finish last race? Yeah. Seventh? Yeah. And Logan didn't finish? No. I just wanted to make sure I had that right. But if he had finished, he could have finished first. Oh, we, yeah, sure. <laughs> There's always a chance. Why not? Uh, yeah, Nico Rosberg's first year for Williams. He's out there. <coughs> sorry, Hulkenberg. Oh, I'm sorry. I said Rosberg, didn't yeah. I? Yeah, Nico <laughs> Rosberg's on Mercedes. He's out there as well, but that's not who we're talking about. It's Nico Hulkenberg's rookie season coming out for Williams. Okay, so those are the guys that are out there. Obviously, we mentioned you. Whoa. I haven't skipped anybody. I'm going back. Okay, okay, okay. I said those are guys Ooh. that are out there, minus Schumacher, who we started with, just because he's the biggest name on the list, I think, outside of Hamilton. Okay, so Jensen Button, we mentioned. Um, he's partnering up with Hamilton right at this time. Mark Weber, as Jeremiah is aggressively quick clicking his screen because he really wants to talk Mark Weber for the next Listen, hour. <laughs> Mark Weber. It was Mark Weber and David Coulthard, and David Coulthard lost his spot to Sebastian Vettel in 2009. So this is Sebastian Vettel's second year, but Mark Weber is established. He's been in the game. He's trying to make his name, and he's a really good racer. Yeah. Now, he's not a world champion, but... There's not a many people that get the title of world champion in the world of F1. No, and he was there kind of at the start of Red Bull, and so he's a fixture, right, right. In, in Formula a 1 staple, at this point. if you will. Okay, is that all you had on Mark Weber? Man, I mean, man. He <laughs> 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 really wanted to push me to get to him for some reason. But, man, I just wanted to talk about Red Bull. So, again, those might be the names that, that you're familiar with. There's another name who was not successful in Formula 1, but Karun Chandoff, uh, the driver out of India, who you will hear on the Sky Sports or F1 TV broadcast uh, every race day. Uh, they'll go down to the pit lane to Ted or Karun to get some insights into the paddock and the garages. Uh, he did not have a very good Formula 1 career. He only ran 11 races in two seasons, and one of those seasons he was a test driver, so... At least he can commentate. Way to go, Karim. Oh, sure. Um, okay. Let's talk some major changes coming into this year before we get to um, some of the results. You have new teams, right? So we mentioned Mercedes. They're going to be one of four new teams, although this isn't Mercedes' debut into Formula One. As Jeremiah mentioned, they've been an, uh, an engine provider. Back in the 50s, they were a team, although right. the structure of teams in the 50s is vastly different than it is now. Uh, so it's not their debut, but they are back in Formula One in 2010. And you also have the addition of uh, Hispaniola, Hispania, Hispania, Hispania Racing, uh, and then Lotus and Virgin uh, into the grid. Um, Obviously, we don't have 
any of those left except for Mercedes in the sport. This was a time when Formula One, pretty much anything pre-2015, the team structure changed drastically almost every year. You had a lot of new entries. The grid was changing between 18 drivers, 20 drivers, 22 drivers, 24 drivers, 26 drivers. In the past couple seasons, we've seen it really even out to that 10 teams, 20 drivers, and the teams are all relatively the same. They might change names. Right. Renault goes to Alpine, but it's still Team Renault. Um, you have um, Sauber go to Alfa Romeo, but it's still the same team. And so you see a lot less of that changing then, but this was a time when it was changing quite a bit. So you have the new teams. This is the last year of Bridgestone Tires. <laughs> I only bring that up because we did our big Tire Wars episode, um, which we learned a lot putting that episode together. Back in 2005, there was a a heated battle um, between the various different tire providers they were going with and Bridgestone. Bridgestone. So in 2010, Bridgestone was the sole tire provider. And at this point, Formula One had actually decided to only go with one tire provider. And at the end of the year, Bridgestone actually decided to not renew their contract for Formula One. So Formula One tested other entrants, and they decided that for 2011, they would go with Pirelli, who we have today. Uh, And Pirelli has, I guess, worked out. We haven't really heard many many huge tires. No. The points system changes in 2010. Yeah, this is where things get a little weird. So if you think of like how we compare modern day baseball, which is like 1890 to present day, you know, or like modern football, the stats don't always make sense when you look back in the records. And that's why you can't say, oh, Lewis Hamilton has the most points of any driver. He's automatically the best. No, no, no. Because if you look at somebody like Michael Schumacher, or if there was any other seven time champion, which is not, it's really hard to do. The points essentially doubled, actually more than doubled right. when you go into 2010. They went from like a 10, 8, 6, 4, where only like the top eight drivers were getting points, to our 25, 18, 15 setup that we have now. And so if you're thinking, oh, Lewis Hamilton has 1,000 points and, you know, Michael Schumacher has 400 points. Slow your roll. It's not a one-for-one one, um, thing. So that was a really, really big change. And if you all want to do a quick research exercise on the point structure of Formula One. It is the most convoluted thing I've ever seen in my life. Did you know for the majority history of Formula One, like the first 40, 50 years, you could only retain points from every... So split the season in half. Let's say that there's 10 races, right? Okay. Out of your first five races, your top four finishes counted. Out of your last five races, your top four finishes counted. One race disappears. So even if you won every single race, one of those would be dropped. Okay. Yeah. It, why? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea why they were doing it at the time, but it was literally that way for 40 or 50 years. Um, and then just recently, like the 2010s and on, or sorry, 1990 and on, it's been everything counts all the time. Can't tell you why. Don't know why. It if was you know not why, like that, yeah. But... If you if you know why, let us know. Um, so you have uh, the point system changes. No refueling in two thousand and ten. What big change does that make to the car? Well, for one, now they're going to have a massive gas tank. Yep. Somewhere on that car. But for number two, that changes the strategy completely. Because now think about it: if you're going to go into the pits. And you had to not only change all four tires. Let's say you do. You change all four tires, but one of them may may take a little bit longer. That's okay. You still have time. The car's still refueling. Once the refueling is done, then all four tires better be go because you're out on the track. But imagine if you took out the refueling. So now every single tire change matters. You have maybe one tire that might take longer than all the others. And and that's the case. Then your pit stop takes longer than everybody else's. So you kind of this is where we start to see everybody kind of get that camaraderie in terms of like being able to take off all four tires and put them back on in synchronicity at the exact same time, nothing going on, no hitches, no hiccups and get the car back out there as fast as you can in like 2.5 seconds. So in doing some reading on the refueling, obviously you think it's, it's probably a safety thing uh, because we've seen several drivers looking at you, Yoss Verstappen just catch on fire. Um, But one of the biggest drivers was that it was a way to cut costs today if that was to be introduced they would introduce it as like a green initiative right like we're going carbon neutral (laughs) and then uh, back then they're like no we just want more money so let's not (laughs) 
Let's not fill these things There's up. A different kind of green. I don't know. Maybe the equipment uh, that they had to buy to refuel was a lot. Who knows? But that was definitely on the list of things that was going on. I did. I made a second note on the larger fuel tanks, but that that ties back to the like look at Monaco today, right? And how the cars have such a hard time traversing Monaco because they're so large. Larger fuel tank, larger car, harder to overtake, harder to pass. A lot of implications with the no refueling. Okay, something that you might not be familiar with or are used to if you're watching F1 now, 24 drivers on the grid. 12 teams. 12 teams. If you remember back to, was it the Dallas Grand Prix where they were like wrapped back around the... <laughs> this that's, isn't that's quite the that. Problem. They did have to have some... Um, uh, not rule changes necessarily, but like qualifying had to change, right? So instead of it being you drop five, you drop five, then you have 10, it was like seven, seven, and then 10, which is weird. So it's 24 drivers on the grid in total at one time, but there was actually 27 drivers that competed in the championship right. for this season. There was three drivers that were reserve drivers for different teams, and for whatever reason, throughout the season, you have a driver that's no longer able to perform for a race. You have somebody come in and fill them in, or maybe you're testing out a new driver, a possible fill-in for next year. We don't know. Uh, we Definitely something that we could do more research on, but the fact of the matter is, is with 24 spots, there was 27 drivers that actually competed in the Grand Prix season. So the last two things I have as far as big changes in 2010, which all of this leads to like maybe led to this title fight, right? All the teams figuring this stuff out at once. Here's something that we still do today, and I would have never been able to know unless we researched this episode. 2010, they introduced midseason that you are not allowed to pass another car under uh, a safety car until you've passed the start-finish line. Huh. So you know how how today, if you're watching the race, like we just watched um, Canada, right? right? Canada 2023. Max Verstappen's leading the uh, the the safety car line, sure. and then he takes off. Everybody else takes off, and only once you pass the line are you free to overtake. So you can't catch somebody napping. Right back then, once the race was up and rolling, do whatever you want. And apparently, there was an incident between Schumacher and Alonso, which triggered this whole investigation. So that, uh, that is an, a rule that we are still using today that is a pretty big deal. And Max Verstappen actually had a rule made on top of that, which is you have to be significantly behind somebody and you can't be... You can't, you can't be wheel-to-wheel <laughs> like, with them. <laughs> like your wing can't be one inch behind their wing and it count. Here's the last thing. Safety car again. Okay. Delta time is introduced in 2010. So, Ooh, wait, it, so what was, what was there before? It was that you were essentially running full speed. You couldn't, you couldn't overtake in a, in a zone where you, there was yellow flags being sure, waved. Sure. But once you got to the safety car, you had to slow down to safety car speed. The rules introduced that as soon as a safety car is triggered, no matter where you are on track, you are reduced to 120% of the lap time. So it's actually greater than the lap time, right? If the lap is, one minute now it's a minute 15 or a minute 20 whatever it is you know that makes sense we saw that play out in the canadian grand prix there was a safety car and i believe it was carlos Sainz that was going for a move around the outside and he had to completely bail out of the move because he wasn't ahead of the driver by the time the safety car came out right and so there was incidents around that where they did have to revise the rule a little bit because once they once they implemented that rule there was something going on where guys were getting penalized way too much because they were <laughs> racing at the time sure. of the safety car being triggered and so they were they were fined for speeding and penalized for speeding but they're like we can't a lot's happening here <laughs> There needs to be more guidelines. For yeah, that. and so I, maybe some levity or something <laughs> like that. But that was the big changes. I mean, you had the refueling, which was huge. You had the the twenty four drivers on track. You had the safety car things being changed mid season, which is also really really weird. I think now they might wait until the end of the season to roll out some big change like that. Okay, how does the season unfold? Before I can get into the season, we left off somebody pretty important oh, when no. we were talking about the drivers. Martin Brundle. And it wasn't Mark Weber. <laughs> oh, no. It's his teammate, Sebastian Vettel. Did we, I not cover Vettel? We did Vettel? not cover oh, Sebastian Vettel. You should have highlighted his name. I was, but you were clicked on him, so you couldn't see it. He's not important this year. <laughs> Let me just tell you right now. Sebastian Vettel has nothing going on in 2010. 
nor did he the so, next three seasons after that. So for those of you that don't know, Sebastian Vettel, whenever he was on Toro Rosso, and I believe 2008, actually won a race before the Red Bull team won. So Toro Rosso actually won a Grand Prix race before the main team, Red Bull, won their race. So here's how it plays out. 2009 rolls, he gets the move to Red Bull. 2009, the end of the season rolls by. The end of results, Jensen Button and Braun win the whole dang thing. But Sebastian Vettel came in second. And in third, that's Rubens Barrichello Sorry, for the other Braun car. That means that Sebastian Vettel split the Brauns who were destroying the field. That's like if you remember back to a couple of years ago when Pierre Gasly took his race win in the Red Bull B team. Was it Toro Rosso at the time or was it AlphaTauri? AlphaTauri, I believe, at the time. That's a huge deal. Wait, when Max did it? No, no, when Pierre did it. Oh, Max did didn't it. win in the no, no, no. team. He won That's when right. he went to Red Bull. Right, right. But it was a really big deal for Pierre yes, to win huge. in the Red Bull B team car. It's the same back then, but now you're talking Sebastian Vettel, who is a young driver. I mean, when you look at all the major champions, you look at Vettel, Verstappen, Hamilton, they all start with that like little spark very early on where you see the greatness about to happen. Oh, yeah. 2009, first year in Red Bull comes in second. First year in the main team comes in second. Splits the bronze. 2010, we're rolling in. It's his second year. And he's hot. He's cooking. He gets qualifying in Bahrain, the very first race of the season. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't play out for him very well as he then gets passed by Fernando Alonso, Felipe Massa, and oh, that's okay. He gets third. No, he gets passed by Lewis Hamilton, ends up in fourth. So the first podium for Bahrain, he's not in it, and he qualified pole. That's hard. But it was a great battle. The rest of the season plays out. I'm not Like I said, I'm not going to go into a race by race, but the essential key parts here is that Mark Webber was bringing the fight, Sebastian Vettel bringing the fight. You had Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, and Jensen Button. Those are going to be kind of your main players. After that, the points totals drop off. Felipe Massa wasn't able to get as much points and as much production out of that Ferrari as Fernando Alonso was. And then after that, we get into the Mercedes and Nico Rosberg still making a name for himself on a team that's not necessarily there yet. It's their first year. They're cooking, but they're not quite there yet. This is one of those things that I love about Formula One. It's the same tracks we're running now. But just with all these legends out there. Kind of. Kind of the same track. So Bahrain's, a, Bahrain's a little different. For those of you that don't know, Bahrain actually has another portion of it that they took out. Well, in 2010, it was their first year of using it. I don't remember which turn it is. I want to say it's within the first few. So I, I think maybe turns four and beyond. They have this whole section yeah. where they added a major part of the track where you go all the way down. It's a hairpin. It comes back. And then it ties right back into what we know now as Bahrain. Almost doubled the length of the track. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge portion. And if you go and you actually look up the Bahrain, I mean, if you look up the Bahrain Grand Prix track on shows like, you. Google Earth, you can see the layout of where the track used to go. And they still use that per- portion for endurance racing nowadays. But back then, 2010, they rolled it out. This was the new track. Now, that's why I wanted to bring that up because we were talking about how it's the same tracks, but there are variations. Sure. So the variations that they're not they're not they're not many they're not plentiful. This I want to say it might have just been the Bahrain track. Uh, yeah, I mean you know France had a couple of different layouts at the time. Okay. This this just to make you jealous. This was a year where they ran the Chinese Grand Prix. I saw that. I hate. Which, so for those who don't know, <laughs> the Chinese Grand Prix that track by far my absolute favorite. And we've never been able to watch it. Not one year. They've had it on the calendar for three years, and they keep taking it <laughs> they off. They never go. <sighs> okay. So the fight's cooking. <laughs> we'll get yeah. right back to this. I wanted to preface this by, I'm not like I said, we're not going to do the race by race, so I wanted to talk about more of the results at the end of the season. We're looking at the total races. I'm looking at the charts now. This was a very, very well-spread Season. I right. mean, as far as wins, Sebastian Vettel gets five wins. Fernando Alonso gets five wins. Mark Webber gets four wins. Lewis Hamilton gets three. Jensen Button gets two. So you never really went into a race thinking, oh, for sure, Sebastian's going to win. Oh, for sure, Alonso is going to win. You didn't know. You had no idea. It could have been Jensen Button, Lewis Hamilton, Mark Webber, Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel. Those were your five runners. And it's not like you might see it now where um, somebody starts off a season really hot and then some other team rolls out an upgrade package and now they're hot and the first driver's right. not as hot. This is, 
I mean, it's it, again, go pull up the go pull up the chart, but it's it's Vettel for two races, Weber for three races, then Hamilton, then Vettel for two races, then Alonso for two races, and they just ping pong around in results. And I feel like this would have been a really fun season to watch because again, no matter what race you're going into, you have no idea who's going to come out on top. And in 2011, they rolled out the DRS system. What does that mean for 2010? That means... Pure racing. There is no DRS trains. You don't have five guys, six guys, all stuck in a massive line all behind each other because they can't get past... No. This is who's the best driver with the car that... I mean, it handles basically like any other race car. You're not going to have some button that you can push where now all of a sudden you can go 15 kilometers an hour faster. And you actually see the the true performance of the cars. When we were going back and watching some of the highlights, you'll see two cars entering a straight and one of them just takes off. That's because that car was just made for straights better than the other car. Right. Whereas today, if one of those cars has DRS, it kind of... You can fight back. It, yeah, it negates whatever advantage the performance might Exactly. Give now, no halos. This season was scary. We watched, for those that I, don't know, I haven't haven't gone back to watch these seasons of the, of old, I guess you could say, or if you weren't, if you're a new fan, didn't get to really watch back when Sebastian Vettel was winning in Red Bull in those 2010 and on seasons. These wrecks were horrifying. <laughs> we went back and we watched every single race of this season. Anytime there's any kind of car pileup, you just assume the driver's no longer. Was it Australia where a guy got turned around? It and... was either Michael Schumacher or Nico Rosberg. It was a Mercedes. So the car gets turned around. They're coming out of a turn. He, I guess, oversteers and spins out. Sure. And he's now facing traffic coming at him. And the front of the car is essentially a ramp to your head. And so um, another driver in a white and green car um, shoots up this ramp and the wheel is a millimeter away from this guy's head. And it breaks off. Yeah. So it's dangling right next to his helmet. So if, I mean, if that car was any more lined up straight and not off to the right, that, that would have been that guy. Like that wheel would have gone into That's that guy's head. That's a head on collision with an F1 car. And you look at it now, and I know when we started watching F1, I thought the halo was weird because we started with Drive to Survive, and this is about the same time all this is rolling out, and a lot of the drivers didn't like it. And then you go back and you watch some of the old races, and you're like, how did y'all ever think this was a good idea to start with? <laughs> I feel like it just takes one accidental close call, and I would immediately be like, hey, we got to make some changes. It's, it's like the cars had advanced so much, no one ever thought, oh, we should probably protect these guys' heads. You know, we should no, probably... No, that's fine. They have helmets. They're fine. That'll protect you from a tire at 200 miles an hour. <laughs> it is sketchy watching those. It's horrifying. Back to the season. Sebastian Vettel kind of has a rough start. With Blaze's four, like I said, doesn't make the podium. and retires in the very next race, and then he finally gets his win. This kind of trades off. This is kind of how it goes. I mean, if even if you look at Fernando Alonso's start, it's wins the race, but then goes fourth and 13th. So it's it's they're neck and neck, but it's like kind of happening at different times kind of, but it's playing out the same story. And I guess that's why when you're going into the final race of this season of Abu Dhabi, the points total is insane. I mean, the, these guys, just for reference, I'm going to have to look over here real quick, but just for reference, you had Fernando Alonso going into the final round of the season – 246 points, right behind him, Mark Weber on Red Bull, 238, Sebastian Vettel, 231, Lewis Hamilton, 222, Jensen Button kind of falls off, but that's, you know, he only gets two race wins for the season, but even him, he's still 199, so this this race is insane, we have the top five guys separated by 47 points, the top four guys separated by 15 or no, 47 and 24, that's my mistake, yeah. the top five sub, sub, uh Jeez. The top five are separated by 47 points. The top four separated by 24. This race is insane. At any moment, if one of these drivers wins this final race and the other ones might not have the best race, any one of these guys can take it. And those five of Weber, Vettel, Alonzo, Button, and Hamilton were the only race winners that year. Yes. So these guys are legit the ones fighting for a championship. No one else is even being yeah. talked about. And if you, but if you go back and you look at like, say for this year, for example, 2023, Red Bull's the only team that's won a race. Yep. We're nine races in and they've won every single one. Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez. Yep. In this season, however, we've got Red Bull, Ferrari, we've got uh, McLaren and 
Mercedes, like I said, they weren't quite there. They weren't able to bring the fight, but it's not like they were way, way off the pace. They still finished Nico Rosberg in seventh, right behind Felipe Massa, the other Ferrari driver. So it's not like they were way off the pace or way out of the box. I mean, they were still competing. They're just Their car just wasn't there yet. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're sitting in the middle of a season right now where Red Bull has won every single race, and we had a genuine fight between three constructors for the title going into the very final race of the season. If you're watching, we've made this point a couple of times, but if you're watching F1 and, and Max Verstappen's off to a 30-second lead or whatever, and you're like, this is boring, who cares? Again, you're watching the battles for second, for third, for fourth. You're watching the battle for 10th. Why? One point can matter so much because if you find yourself in a dogfight like 2010 was between five or four really, really good drivers, the races you don't win, it really matters where you place. <laughs> Right, because only these five guys won. So if you're not winning the race, you're somewhere else in the field. And if you're not getting points, you could find yourself out of the title race at the end of the year. Do you remember at the end of 2022 when Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc were in a heated battle to see who was going to get second in the constructors? Yep. I mean, in the in the drivers. Yep. Now imagine that, but it's five drivers and it goes all the way to the final race of the season. <laughs> And it's for first. Yeah, and if you're fighting one of the five guys, so if you're Mark Webber fighting Sebastian Vettel in some middle-of-the-season race and y'all are fighting for seventh, you really want seventh place because that's way better than eighth place. Exactly. So with Fernando Alonso up eight points and into the lead of this whole entire thing going into the final race, he really realistically just needs to finish in, what, the top four and he takes home the championship. That could yeah. be wrong. That was quick math, but I'm pretty sure it was the top four, top five, somewhere in there. Not a big ask of somebody that's won five races. In exactly. A He's tied for the most wins for that season with Sebastian Vettel. All he had to do was finish in the top five, top four, top six, whatever. Regardless, this battle is intense. First of all, a wreck on lap one causes a safety car. All the cars pit. Well, not all of them, but the majority of the cars pit. They change tires. Now they're looking for a one-stop race. They're going to go the rest of the race on those tires. I don't know if that's the best strategy to do on lap one of a Grand Prix, but it's the strategy that was chosen by many. Which and they, is, they come on the radio and they say, we can go to the end on these. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, you have Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, and pretty much every single driver on the grid complaining to their engineer through their headset, hey, man, these tires are shot. We need to pit. And in the case of Lewis Hamilton, the engineer barks back and says, listen, man, if we pit, the world championship is gone. We need to stay out if we want even a chance at winning the world championship. And Can think, you imagine? I think Hamilton started kind of barking at his team around lap 35, 36, which would have meant only like 19 laps or so left, which if you do the quick math on tire strategy would have been about where they would have pit had they not all pit on lap one. Yeah. <laughs> But so the, it makes sense. The tires degraded as was expected, but the teams were really trying to push it because they were all in this title fight. The hard part about that is that let's say you are Lewis Hamilton. You pit. You come out onto the softs. Now you have to make up all that. Oh, I have to add this too because we were watching this. Did you see how fast those guys were coming out of the pits? I don't. I wonder if it's an Abu Dhabi specific thing because they have that tunnel that yeah. goes, and maybe there's like some marker in the tunnel that's like, okay, at this point, full speed to enter the track or whatever. Flying. They're going full speed down the pit lane. Flying. Now, granted, it's not the pit lane where all the mechanics are. It's this tunnel and then out to the track, but it's still the pit lane. <laughs> so the entire time, these guys are asking for messages from their engineers, basically like, oh, they're. There had to be other pits. I'm sorry, because then we had Lewis Hamilton coming on and saying, okay, when is he going to come out? Where is he going to rejoin? You know, am I, I going to be able to beat I him? I think somewhere on one stop, somewhere on two, and somewhere on three, and it just got super jumbled. So imagine you're Lewis Hamilton. You come out on softs. You have to make up this deficit. Now, the deficit is going to be even bigger because Homeboy came flying out of the pits with no fear, no speed limiter, nothing. Nope. So now he's got to make up all that time. And I think that part was even mentioned by Lewis. He's like, how is he, how's the gap so big? And then the, his engineer was like, he was flying through the pits, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Pit, it was like pacing the pits or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Pacing the pits or something. So yeah. He repeated that. I believe that was what he said. Regardless though, every driver cooked tires, giving it everything they got and guys are getting stuck. Lewis Hamilton is not able to get around to start advancing. Fernando Alonso is stuck behind, what was it, Vitaly Petrov, I believe was his name. Yep. And Vitali, Vitali's engineer came on the radio, and he's like, 
Fernando is behind you. We are racing, Fernando. We are racing, Fernando. <laughs> In other words, Fernando's going to have to earn this well, one. And I think that's that goes back to like the pit stops of it all being jumbled ever since lap one, because whenever you come back on track, you don't know if the guy behind you is a lap behind you, if they're a lap right. ahead of you. You don't know if they have another pit stop schedule. So like, yeah, they might be with you for this second, but then they're going to away. So the engineers wanted to make sure everybody on track knew you're racing this person right now. <laughs> So now imagine you're Fernando Alonso. You're stuck. You have to get four, five, six to win whatever it is to win the Grand Prix, to win the championship. And you're stuck. You cannot get behind this guy. No matter how hard you try. You're in the faster, you're in the faster car, you're the better driver. Your engineers are coming on the radio and saying, We need you to use all of your talent. We know you have a lot of it. And it's like, oh, flattery. You're you're doing your best, but do better. Yeah, he's like <laughs> We know that you are trying your best, but you have to get past Petrov. We know you are doing everything you can. Okay, thanks for the added pressure. Already trying everything that I can. You know, he's out there coasting just on a Sunday cruise. Exactly. But I thought this was weird because how can you be in the Ferrari? And the Ferrari at this time is way faster than the other cars on track. Maybe not the Red Bull. Maybe the McLarens. The McLarens definitely slower, as we saw by uh, Fernando Alonso's five race wins because Lewis Hamilton, as we know now, and anybody who watching this knows is a great driver. So for him not to be able to take that McLaren and also win five races or four races, clearly the Ferrari and Red Bull had a better car and Lewis was doing what he could with the McLaren that he was provided. But my point was you're Fernando Alonso. (laughs) You're stuck behind Petrov. You have no idea how to get around him. You're giving him everything you've got. You just cannot get past him. And you know your world championship is slipping away. Your second, third? Third. Third world two championship with, two with is slipping away? Man. It sucks. I mean, it really sucks because at the end of the day, Fernando Alonso, over everybody with his drastic lead, had the best chances of taking home the championship. Now, whenever you're put in this situation, you're behind a guy that's drastically slower and there's no DRS. So to, to that point, I guess that would be a yeah. positive for DRS. You like your if you're stuck behind a guy and you've got a lap to go, your hope is or odds are slim at that point because you don't have that being behind advantage. And he was clearly within a second, which I'll, I, I can give times whenever you're ready to go there. But the times on this race were crazy. Oh, dude, let me hear that. What? Okay, so obviously Vettel wins, right? right. Wins the championship. Oh, now, you ruined it. Sorry, he wins. Uh, I told you he wasn't <laughs> important to this season. Um, Vettel wins. He gets his 25 points. And again, that's also why this year and the point structure is is a big change because now he gets 25 points, whereas somebody down in seventh who's important only gets six points. That's a really big swing that they didn't have back when it was the 10, 8, 6, whatever. Okay, so Vettel finishes. Uh, he has a time of 1.39.36. The Mercedes, uh, McLaren Mercedes of Hamilton and Button, 10 seconds behind and 11 seconds behind. So they were right on each other. Yeah. Uh, with Hamilton coming out ahead. Then you have Nico Rosberg down plus 30. Robert Kubica down at 39. Petrov at 43.5. Alonso 43.7. Point. Two. He was two tenths behind this man. In modern day DRS range. <laughs> oh, God, that hurts, man. And I don't know, moving up that one wouldn't have helped him. He would have needed a few more, but he was stuck behind Petrov for a long time. For the rest of the race. So much so that after the race. <laughs> oh, yeah. How could I forget? <laughs> At the very end of the race, Fernando Alonso pulls right up next to Vitali and gives him the old Ferrari Italian angry man. He's like, hey, come on. What are you doing? He's angrily shaking his fist out of his out of the cockpit of his car, like telling that guy, you cost me this. <laughs> Which Petrov, he's just sitting there like, I don't know what happened. I was just trying to do my part. <laughs> Where did Petrov end up finishing the season? Oh, 13th. Didn't matter. (laughs) Racing for Renault, which was Fernando Alonso's old team. And he retired in about half of the races. So I want to set a scene for you real quick as we go into this final lap. You gave out the times. Sebastian Vettel behind him by 10 seconds. Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button. 30 seconds back. Nico Rosberg. 39. Robert Kubica. And 43 seconds. 
Petrov, and Fernando. Why is that so important? Well, that's because Sebastian Vettel passed the line. Now, we knew that Sebastian Vettel had a chance at winning this. He wins the race. That's going to give him the highest point total, but we saw the gap between him and Fernando Alonso. He essentially had, because he was in third part of the race, he essentially had to win to to. to have a shot. To have any kind of shot. Unless all the other guys DNF'd, right, or had really, really low points, and he got second or something. He had to win. Yeah, he was 15 points behind Fernando Alonso. You've got to win. So Fernando Alonso, realistically, even if he had won, Fernando Alonso just needed to get fifth then because that gives him 10 points. That ties them. Right. So set the scene. Fernando, 43 seconds back. Sebastian Vettel crosses the finish line. The entire team, and Sebastian inside, he's cheering. He's shaking his fist. And, you know, yeah. But his team's coming on, and they're like, listen, congratulations. We need to wait. I don't even know if he says congratulations. Well, I mean, on the race win. Good job on the race win. He says something for that effect. It's something very minimal that, like, today when a guy wins a race, it's, you've won the race, yeah. (laughs) Back then, in 2010 in Abu Dhabi, it was, okay, we won. Hang on. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, good job on the race. We need to wait a minute before we can figure out how this thing plays out. So he's sitting there, and he's like, Hamilton, Button, two and three. Nico Rosberg, four. And he's like, he's like, what does he say? Something to the effect of, "You just wait, sunshine. You just wait." Yeah, he's like, he's like, it's looking good. And then he goes, "Cubica, fifth. And then they start exploding because yeah, like, they see Cubica, Alonso. Cubica, and fifth. Dubist Velsmeister. <laughs> now, for those that don't know German, I had to look this up. Dubist Velsmeister. That means you are world champion. He screams, the engineer screams that into the radio to Sebastian Vettel, to which Sebastian Vettel, you can hear, very apparently choked up. He's crying in the car. He's saying, I love you guys. This is the greatest thing ever, you know. And then Christian Horner comes on, Sebastian Vettel, you are the world champion. That goosebumps, dude. All down my arms, my legs, goosebumps. And if you're Vettel, how old? old He was the youngest champion at the time. Youngest champion ever at 22 and some odd days. Because he beat Lewis Hamilton, who had won back in 08. Um, Now, if you're Vettel, all these guys get in the car thinking that they can win on race day, right? Like, that's been well established that if you're in Formula One, you have the mindset that every time you get in the car, you're going to win, right? Yes. So he gets in the car and he thinks he might win the race. But you know in his head, he's probably thinking, there's a very little chance I win the championship because I need Fernando Alonso to have a horrible day. I need, you know, uh, Hamilton and Weber and and Button to all kind of be off their game. And just for it to line up so perfectly at the end that he gets the championship and the win, that had to – he probably didn't see that coming until maybe halfway through the race as a realistic option. No, man. We have, some, we have Red Bull's first ever champion. And they take the constructors, thanks to Mark Webber putting in that amazing fight. Because if we go back to the top five, as I stated before, what did you not hear? You did not hear, besides Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button in fourth and fifth, a repeat of two drivers for the same team in this fight. Yep. The one you did have, you had Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button in the back for McLaren four and five. But up at the top, you had Sebastian Vettel in first. And Mark Webber, thanks to his consistency, thanks to his four race wins that season, takes third. They take the constructors. Red Bull gets its first constructors and their first world champion. Five years into being a constructor. A super young Christian Horner. Yeah, he gets on the mic after the whole German uh, celebration. And he's like, Sebastian Vettel, you are world champion. Which we've heard now six times. (laughs) But that was the first first time, time. First time he got to say it. And that I'm was iconic. I'm wondering if by 2013, he was like, Sebastian, you're a champion again. Good job, man. Bring it home. Way to go. You going to Ferrari? That's cool. That's real cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about this season because in my time as a Formula One fan, I have yet to see a season where a championship was this close. The closest thing to this that we had was early on last year whenever Max and Charles were going back and forth because Ferrari had that strong car. But then they lost out in the second half of the season. This is a season where five guys competed for the championship with four having a legitimate chance of winning it. Sorry, Jensen. Four having a legitimate chance of winning it down to the last race, dude. I mean, we saw it in in 21. You saw... 
you saw a battle between Hamilton and Verstappen, but that was a two car race, and it was very clearly a two car race. Jeremiah mentioned there was a battle for you know every, every the, the best of the rest essentially. I mean, it did come down to Abu Dhabi, which is cool that Abu Dhabi is a scene for a lot of these because you see the same places on the track cause issues. Uh, but again, that was a two horse race, and so when you look back to 2010, it's you know five guys, four in in, in real you know, reality. But that is a lot more to follow in an hour and 39-minute race I know. than just two guys. Because and, you're trying to track all of them. Where are they at? Right. Where could they end up? What are the points totals going to look like when this is done? You know, back in 2010, they were they all had – I mean, they had phones and smartphones. But, you know, probably they all had paper out doing math and yeah. stuff. <laughs> and trying to figure out if he gets this. And they, like, could you imagine, like, sitting around, like, watching this with buddies? And they're all like, if he gets this and he gets this and they could do this. And then, and then Jensen Button could be the champion. <laughs> and somebody's like, no, it couldn't. <laughs> Uh, yeah, where are you getting your math? Something that we something that we missed during the race. So if you're watching the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 laps of the race, there is very clearly something on the track, in the middle yeah, of the track. I noticed that. So in today's F1, if literally anything is on the track, they shut it down. They ain't messing around when something's on the track, right? And Fernando Alonso came on his calm. Several guys did. He comes on, he goes, there's debris on the track. Is there going to be a safety car? Why is that huge for Fernando Alonso? It stacks up the group. So now instead of him just working with Petrov, now Petrov's going to be held up by somebody fighting Which and all that. Which gives Fernando a chance. Gives him a chance. So you know they were seeing that in the in the, in the the road and wondering why there wasn't a safety car. Fast forward 11 seasons to 2021. What's the controversy there in Abu Dhabi? Oh, the final safety car for Max final and Lewis. Final safety car lap. So 2010 and 2021, both championship title battles. Abu Dhabi. Both Abu Dhabi, and they both have a safety car, no safety car controversy at the end of the race. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. I like the comparison because 2021 is about as close that we can come in recent years, I guess, to a championship fight. I mean, if we're looking back in previous years, it's been I mean, Mercedes. Hamilton, Rosberg, but Hamilton oh, kind of Hamilton fell out. Hamilton, yeah, Hamilton fell out of the fight early on. Um, but yeah, just the fact that they, they didn't call that safety car. And again, not to say that it would have changed the results, but it would have given Alonzo a lot better shot at making three passes. And remember he, yeah, exactly. Three passes. All he needed was fifth. If he could have gotten fifth, this thing's wrapped up, take it home. Cause if done. he passes Petrov for six, he's still four seconds behind uh, Robert Kubica. He's still 13 seconds behind Nico Rosberg. Like the odds were against him <laughs> for working his way up any higher yeah. safety car puts you within a second of everybody ahead of you. Exactly. Man, we got to go back and just watch this whole season. I would like to go back and watch, because we, we did watch every single race, but, you know, you're not watching. Abbreviated, Yeah, you're watching through. abbreviations. You're catching the big bits. You're catching, you might watch, I mean, I don't know what, what kind of research you've done. I'm sure it's the same, but we've watched multiple videos on the 2010 season and kind of like what people's takes are of it, what their, what their biggest hits were, what they saw was kind of like the the biggest movers of the season in terms of what was going to change the championship fight. But all of that, all of that for the fight that we had, man. Not to mention this is a season where you have this title fight going on. You also have Michael Schumacher on track, uh, Rubens Barrichello. I mean, you have such big names in the sport and a great title fight. Now, a lot of these guys aren't on the track, but as I I would say still fairly new F1 fans both of us yeah by a long shot honestly <laughs> we've heard from people that have been f1 fans for 20 30 years oh, and it's yeah, like okay easily. well we need 20 or 30 years to get there <laughs> but we keep hearing them reference these names that we personally haven't got a chance to see live in action racing but they're good drivers they're i guess you could say like the daniel ricardos of their time they're like the i mean what else could you compare them to top drivers carlos signs yeah. you know what i mean so you had robert kubitzo that's a name that we all know, we all love. I mean, I like him. I've watched some of his races. He's pretty sweet. Jensen Button, he's not currently in there. We see him commentating every now and then. He'll have special bits. He raced at Le Mans in the, in the NASCAR with Jimmy Johnson. Garage 56. You had Nico Rosberg. You had Nico Rosberg, Rubens Barrichello. We mentioned him. Kobayashi, I've heard his name quite a few times. Nico Hulkenberg was a rookie, but he's still racing, so I guess you can't really. Bruno count Senna's him. out there. Yeah, Bruno Senna, he's out there just going around the track. 
You had Kovalainen. I've heard Kovalainen's name multiple times mentioned. I don't know why I've heard this name multiple times, but Timo Glock for some reason seems to be a name that keeps appearing. Just a cool name. But looking at Timo Glock, I don't know if he really should be. Well, you know what he drove in? The no. Dutch tour wagon. Oh, the tour wagon. <laughs> we know all about that thanks to Toto. <laughs> It was just a good year. I mean, that, there's nothing else. If, if you're going to go back and you're going to research some things, we've done some disastrous races, which are obviously entertaining to go back and watch because you just think of the safety standards that have changed between then and now. This was, this was a season if you just want pure racing awesomeness and a title fight that lasted literally the whole season because every other week the standings were flipped around in some different configuration. Guys, if you can, highly recommend go back 2010 Abu Dhabi. You can watch the race. I'm sure it's. I'm sure you'll you'll get a lot out of it. I love the race. I thought it was a great race. Um, I'm more specifically talking about the very last lap. You need to go back. You need to watch the last lap, and you need to see this whole thing play out at the very end with Sebastian Vettel with the comms with his engineers, Fernando Alonso coming around the corner. I mean, when I say goosebumps, that's not an over exaggeration. No. I watched it again right here before we even filmed, just so that the words were fresh. And I got goosebumps again. That that being like the fifth time that I've watched. There's it. a couple of moments in Formula One, obviously winning the championship for the first time, or whenever they say free to go hunting, or there was an example you brought up the other day that was on that oh. level, and I cannot remember what it was. Uh, but there's just certain sayings. Oh, copy. Uh, oh, it was the one that Fernando Alonso said in uh, Canada. He was like, "Copy, I'll handle it." Yeah, or something to that effect. And then he's like, "I want to win the race." Like, there's just sayings that are like that guy is they're out there they're they're gonna go win like they're they could conquer the world right now <laughs> you need to go back watch abu dhabi that last section the second that you hear do pissed veldmeister like chills hair standing up on your arms it's insane now granted there's multiple levels for why this is such a great thing because if you remember max verstappen's win his very first one where he's like, oh my Lord, Max. And Max is like, yes, yeah. That's a great moment because that's Max Verstappen's very first win. But this is Red Bull's very first win. Yep. Constructors and world champion. The first time they had a world champion. Christian Horner, uh, that you could tell they were locked in on the pit wall after Vettel had crossed the line because again they were waiting on the results so it was like a 45 second delay oh yeah they had to catch Fernando Alonso had to come around the line between him crossing the line and his team reacting to being champions they're just sitting there watching and waiting and you, you can just wait sunshine yes yeah, sunshine <laughs> man all right if you have any thoughts on 2010 or if you have a more competitive season i don't know how it could be more competitive than this but if you have a more competitive season you'd like to see broken down let us know yes guys and if there's anything that we might have missed from that 2010 season any big hitters any kind of news stories or anything that came out controversies that we might not have touched on let us know in the comments we can always make another video we can add it to a controversies episode we can do it i mean there's multiple ideas but you have to let us know down below awesome Thanks, guys.